As you know, sharpfootballanalysis.com is the best place for fantasy analysis and betting information. NFL playoff and college football bowl packages are now available with Super Wildcard Weekend up. Visit sharpfootballanalysis.com to take advantage of Warren's lifetime NFL playoffs record, which hits at a 64% clip. And we're now throwing in a special benefit this year. All fantasy content will be free for subscribers throughout the playoffs. Get it now at sharpfootballanalysis.com. Hello, welcome to the Sharp Angles Podcast. I am Dan Pizzuta, joined here by Rich Rebar, TA, team over here at SharpFootballAnalysis.com. Guys, finally made it to the playoffs. Here it is. They had six games this week. Uh, we're going super wild card weekend. I, I don't know why. This is just kind of normal wild card weekend now, right? Like, are we just, if this is still the format in 10 years, are we still calling it super wild card weekend? Well, what was it next year? We'll be back to. Won't they be adding a team? Won't there be eight teams in the playoffs next year? Will there? I thought they're adding a regular season game. Likely, I can't remember. I, I thought I might have seen something like that. I hope not. I like the. I know a lot of people have brushed back too on the one by, but I like the one by meaning something. Uh, and it's like, what is the number two seed and the number two seed getting a buy? Like, I mean, I, I like the one seed getting a buy and having it stand out. Uh, I like having two, three game slates for DFS uh, separately. I wish there was one full six game, you know, not to go into those weeds, but uh, that had good contests, but you know, Hey, they didn't have to add a week this year season. They pushed all these games through. It looks like the teams, I don't know if it was on purpose or not, but the teams that were majorly dealing with COVID uh, were scheduled for Sunday. That may not have helped one of the teams that we'll talk about, but, you know, definitely will probably help the Saints. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, we made it, though. Like you said, they pushed through this season that we didn't think we may not even get this far. Would there be a bubble at this point? We don't know. It's just business as usual, kind of for football and for us to be able to kind of spend all day Saturday and Sunday still watching a bunch of football games. Yeah, and I, th- I think these the, the slate of games is, is really I think it's a good slate of games. It's spread out nicely, um, so yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be awesome. And you know, not to look back, but you know, obviously, uh, I feel good about what we discussed on the pod before the season started. I feel good about. I know Warren's um, you know uh, futures package looked really really good, and you know uh, we helped out on that. And you know, I personally, I think uh, the only kind of future that I lost is I took a stab at the Lions to, to make the playoffs that didn't look good but otherwise I mean under in the Broncos over in the Colts um, I had over in, in in Washington before the year I had the Seattle to win division so I had hit a bunch and you know on the pod we talked about you know I feel proud that we, we sat, sat here and said you know look at the first few weeks of the season you know similar to 2011 going to see a bunch of overs a bunch of you know high scoring games we saw that and I also pointed out that in that 2011 season that um, as we went along the unders the market started to catch up and unders actually ended up catching up fully and, and took the lead at the end of the day and that's essentially what happened this year you know we had a huge number of points first few weeks and then under started to hit after the market caught up and at the end of the day it was almost a perfect 50-50 split between overs and unders I think overs won by like one game so all those things that we talked about, I think, you know, ended up uh, working out. So I feel, feel really good about that. And, you know, I know, Dan, you're going to uh, discuss kind of our – before we go into the, the playoff games, you know, we did do that uh, wins pool draft, if you will, before the season. And, you know, we can recap that a little bit. But uh, I feel really good as a, as, a, uh, you know, as a company and as a podcast that we, uh, we did – I think we made some pretty good predictions overall. 
Touché. Yeah, we can uh, we can hit this uh, this wins pool uh, very quickly. We don't have to you know go over who did well or uh, you know anything. We can. About we that. can do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So if you guys uh, miss it in the beginning of the season, we just did a quick win draft. We picked teams. You just got points for every win. We went ten rounds. We left two teams out. Uh, so the the final rankings here. Rich ended up with ninety wins. A TA had 83 wins. Uh, and then um, it, it seems like uh, I don't know what happened um, <laughs> afterwards. So we can just move along. No, I had uh, 71 wins, uh, which is uh, significantly less than everyone else. Um, shots on the, the Cowboys, Eagles, Texans, and Jaguars and Falcons did not uh, apparently work out for me uh, very well. I think there were. Um, six teams uh, drafted that had uh, four or fewer wins and I had four of them. So that's fun. <laughs> Impressive actually. I'm not going to lie. It's, it is. <laughs> it's hard to do that. Um, I mean, still had the dolphins uh, in the ninth round. I mean, I think we still, you know, overall kind of had a good view of what we were going to do. The first three rounds went chiefs, Ravens, Buccaneers. Um, of course I was high on the Cowboys in round two, but you know, saints Colts, we had the bills up there. Uh, Rich with with the the Packers in the fifth round. That was the pick. Of, that was definitely the pick of the draft. Moved the needle. And we we were the one thing we're definitely. Wrong, I talk about how we're right. The one thing we're definitely wrong on is the Packers, right? I mean, oh yeah. A lot of the contrarians, a lot of the analytics uh, community was you know talking about how they were so good in one score games. I think they're like nine and one or nine and zero oh last year, and that was going to regress. Well, it did, that did not happen. <laughs> they actually got better. Uh, started blowing teams out. So that was one you know where. Uh, you know, Rich definitely scooped up a, a great win with with the Packers there, um, and that was probably the difference. I mean, I, I think I picked the Lions uh, in the same round, and it's just horrible. So that that right there was a huge uh, win. And you know, yeah, we had, we had the Lions and Bears uh, went before the Packers oh, uh, just, in this draft. Yeah, that's yeah, brutal. we we kind of talked about My this Bears. a little bit last week when when we were talking. <laughs> yeah, we'll apparently get to the Bears on this podcast because um, I mean I get Washington being in the playoffs because you know they won a division even though it's you know the worst division, but it's something about the Bears being in the playoffs right now just kind of <laughs> it it completely blows my mind. Like I understand Washington, the worst team, and but I understand why they're in the playoffs. I'm still trying to wrap my head around why and how the bears are in the playoffs uh this year because so Cliff kingsbury <laughs> we know the answer oh, uh, so yeah <laughs> well so I congrats mean, to rich then i guess is the <laughs> sure i don't i don't think we set any stakes uh for this but i think it just shows that uh you know rich knows what he's doing which if you have been listening or reading rich uh at all uh, at it any point lost. this year or before <laughs> um We'll send them in a, a Nintendo. I will say that the one team I took second was the Bills. I took them ahead of the 49ers who were coming off the Super Bowl appearance, ahead of the Seahawks, had all these good things. I was high on the Bills. And honestly, this year I didn't expect to be I, – I find myself rooting for the Bills going to the playoffs. I'm not a fan of any team. But when I always glom on to these teams that run their team in a capacity similar to the way I would run it. And that can, is a nice segue into this first game on Saturday. I'll take over Dan's job. Uh, but, you know, the, the Bills are just a team that, you know, they, they pass heavy on first down. They don't really care about 
necessarily the production they get from their running backs and they still run a lot of play action. Uh, they're aggressive. They play a lot of 10 personnel, you know, outside of the Cardinals, they play the most 10 personnel in the NFL. They have a mobile quarterback, which I always love. And they had a quarterback where they swerved into his shortcomings. They were aware of Josh Allen's shortcomings and tried to maximize and give him as many outs as possible to maximize uh, his strengths, which you do not see in the NFL. You think that that would be commonplace. That is not commonplace. We've watched enough football to know this. If you are a fan of Sam Darnold, you experience this, you know, head on on, on how he was handled by the Jets organization. Uh, we have a little bit of that with Lamar Jackson going on. So maybe the tides of turns and some of these teams will appreciate what they have. And instead of what they have, not with some of the rookie quarterbacks that they draft. Uh, but I find myself entering the postseason outright, just openly rooting for the bills. Uh, so, I mean, hopefully the, they win on Saturday. Uh, I don't love the line. I am more on the, against the public here. The line is going down for the total and I absolutely love this over, uh, which we can kind of get into. Yeah. But so uh, it looks like I'll just um, full disclosure. I, I already bet uh, Indianapolis plus seven uh, a few days ago. Um, I think it's hovering at six and a half. I'm not sure you'll see mm-hmm. another seven. Um, every time, you know, I kind of, I liked it at seven and every time it, it hit seven literally would jump back down to six and a half almost immediately. Um, there was definitely a resistance point there from a market perspective. So I know a lot of the sharp, uh, big sharp syndicates were hitting it every time it hit seven for the Colts. And I totally agree there. Um, and obviously that's a key number the difference between six and a half and seven is really, really big. So, um, if you ever see it uh, out there, even at a minus minus one twenty, I think it's fine, but you know, uh, yeah, I, I think the, what the Bills have done this year has been uh, fantastic. Um, you know, they, they've literally destroyed every team that they've faced in the last handful of weeks. I mean, since they're by, you know, they're 6-0 and straight up and 6-0 and against the spread. Uh, but to be fair, they've only faced one playoff team, and that was Pittsburgh, you know, off of multiple short weeks. Um, they are and, second in the, of all playoff teams against winning records, though, 5-2 and two against teams with a winning record. Which is yeah, but I mean, all right, winning records arbitrary <laughs> number, but it's fine. I mean, uh, at the end of the day, I look at it like just from a market perspective. Look, Colts, you know, I think the Colts are a good team. They're top 10 in pretty much all advanced metrics, even if you adjust their schedule. I mean, they're 10th in DVOA. They're, I think, um, eighth in Pythagorean wins when you look at point differential. You know, they've beaten good teams. They've proven they can beat the, the Packers, uh, the Titans. So they've got a couple of good wins under their belt. Um, they should have beaten the Steelers, let's be honest. Um, you know, with that, they blew that big lead. So, I mean, I think this is a good team. You got a veteran quarterback in Phillip Rivers. Whatever you think of him, he's still a, he's still a solid. He's, he's, you know, I know Dan has numbers on this, but he's still a top half of the NFL quarterback, um, you know, in this league. Um, he's a veteran presence. He's not going to be scared going into uh, to Buffalo here. The weather, you know, it's going to be a little bit chilly, but it's still sunny. There's no wind. So I'm not really scared from that perspective. I know people have mentioned that as a, as a you know, as a negative against the river, like whatever. I mean, it's, it's a little bit chilly. Like there's no wind. That's the key. That, that's the issue that would, that would bother me here. Um, and there's no snow, no pre- uh, precipitation. So that does not, um, I don't think that's an issue from that perspective. They can run the ball on this defense. Look, the Buffalo bills have been great and they've improved defensively, but they still are bottom, you know, five, eight in the NFL and run defense. And they haven't really faced a ton of good running backs. And you could look at, you know, some of the, the recent, um, uh, running backs that they faced, they haven't faced, I mean, Miami, New England, um, Denver, um, and a lot of these teams have been trailing uh, really early. So they've had to kind of change their game plan, which is great, which is part of the strategy that we're talking about. I mean, they're throwing early and often, um, especially in the first half, and they're jumping on these teams so you can't run the ball on them. So um, I think if the Colts can at least, 
you know, score enough early to, to, to keep up. And, you know, Jonathan Taylor has been great the last handful of weeks. He's really turned it on. I think the, just the, the line is just a little bit inflated. Um, you're paying a tax for Buffalo kind of sweeping the la- last half of the season. Um, but, look, they were in Denver, and we, we know that there's really no home field advantage this season. They were in Denver, and they closed at minus six. So you're telling me Denver and the Colts, I mean, Denver's essentially equal to the Colts? No. Um, I mean, they played in New England a couple weeks ago, and they won, and they were favored by seven. Like, I'm just saying uh, from a market perspective, and look at the Chargers. After the bye, they, they should not – we've talked about that game a million times, uh, the Anthony Lynn game, one of the Anthony Lynn games, stuffed at the goal line. Chargers should have covered that game. I mean, they should have realistically lost by three. That was a uh, – that line closed at four and a half. So just from a market perspective, I think you're getting good value with the Colts here um, at seven. And, you know, I'm just – I'm always wary of the, the hot team going to the playoffs where everyone just expects them to roll. It happens every year where, you know, we get kind of a, um, a team like that. It's not the number one seed um, that gets upset. So just be aware of that. And I just think overall between a good coaching staff and Frank Wright um, and that Colts, that Colts staff, Veteran quarterback, you know, solid team kind of all around. I, I think they can hang in here for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Like, this is a thing where I really like what the Colts did all year. I like so much of what has been made of that team, what is on that team. Like, Phillip Rivers has been good. I think it was 10th in EPA per play uh, among quarterbacks this year. So you said top FDA. He's up close to top 10 he was still really good there were those weird calls in like week four uh that he should be benched by like some indianapolis beat writers um uh, but he completely turned it around and his first couple games weren't even as bad as you know some of that made it seem uh so they really figured it out especially with a lot of those injuries and things they worked that passing game i mean you were going to like the courts of ty hilton for a while and until the houston game uh you know and ty hilton kind of became ty Hilton like he always does against the Texans then that kind of opened up they have three tight ends who are okay but no one really stands out so they've just been working around just whatever they've been able to do you know Jonathan Taylor didn't really turn it on until the second half of the season like the second half of the second half of the season um but that really went well I mean I love Frank Reich I love Chris Ballard I think the problem here is that they are running into the bills and the bills are just really good um they you know might be I mean we haven't really seen the full strength Chiefs for a while but they might be the best team in the AFC like I'm not completely sure that's not the case at this point um so i know the the line like you said is kind of juiced up a little bit because there's so much on the bills and i think they really need to you know entice some people to uh be uh, taking the colts there but you no know, buffalo right now fourth in dvoa kansas city it's sixth um and and that plays into a, a couple of other things that you know dvoa goes into and we'll uh, bring this up for another team but like blowing out bad teams is a sign of a good team. Um, I, I've played around with a whole bunch of back when I uh, wrote for number fire, I did a lot of their, uh, you know, power rankings and stuff with their, uh, their nerd, um, which is basically their, you know, version of DVOA that goes off expected points. And I did a lot of the, the write-ups that every week. And what I realized is that system really loved teams that blew out other teams. Uh, and the bills just do that. They did that uh, against the dolphins this past week when the dolphins had something to play for the dolphins were a defense that was really good heading into that game. And Buffalo, you know, without Cole Beasley, all of a sudden Isaiah McKenzie was, uh, you know, 
he was the jet sweep guy before that game. And then all of a sudden he's you know going in for two touchdowns. They had uh, two really nice plays that I wrote up uh, for uh, first and 10 this week to John Brown, who just returned. Uh, they have Kenny Stills right now, who's on the practice squad, just like sitting, waiting to be used. Uh, they just have, you know, 90 wide receivers that could be dangerous at any point in the field. So um, it's just, it's going to be so hard, especially for this, um, for this Colts defense. I, I'm not totally sure how, uh, how they, are able to handle all of uh, the Bills' uh, passing weapons. Um, we don't think Beasley's going to play, right? Like that. that it, doesn't it doesn't sound. seem so, but right now I'm he not dropped sure. Dropped a new if... single, though. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and, that's and that's all that Bond matters. Diggs yeah. didn't practice. I mean, I know it sounds like he'll probably play, but you know, yeah, it, it sounds like up. he was fine, but just yeah. didn't practice. And I think at this point, I, I think that's yeah, yeah pretty okay. common at this yeah. point. Yeah, and I think well, one thing you're seeing is, you know, the Josh Allen improvement didn't exactly come like where you would think it was. He was an okay deep passer. Um, they were more open, and some of those passes that he did complete were more meaningful because they were more open and he had better receivers than catching the ball. Um, but that the short and intermediate area of the field, is that's really where the builds focused and got better, and that's where the accuracy got better. Uh, that's where the uh, production got better. That's where Stephon Diggs did most of his route running and uh, most of his uh, receptions were in that 11 to 19 yards past the line of scrimmage. So that's really where they killed it. And I think that's going to be able to take advantage uh, of some of the Colts defense there. So um, as a, uh, as the, the like rookie better in this, when, when I see a line, like something like Buffalo minus seven that I know is probably high because of how much interest is in Buffalo. What do you guys think of a, a Buffalo tease with someone to bring that down to maybe Buffalo minus one, where you'd be way more comfortable with that. Um, and just trying to pick uh, maybe another team or two that you like this weekend. You know, I know personally, I, I get wary of teases. They've become really popular the last couple of years, especially um, the, teas the teases that you get um, kind of um, when you get below two key numbers. So if you, you know, mm -hmm. if it was at seven and a half and you're going down to, you know, through the seven and through the three, um, that's one that I know that uh, they call the Wong tease, essentially the, um, you know, through two uh, key numbers. If it's sitting at six and a half, you're essentially just asking them to win. I would just take the part, you know, just money line the, uh, or parlay the money line. So essentially all you need them to do is win with, you know, another team you like, you know, maybe the saints or something. Um, I just get a little wary because when you get into the playoffs, you know, historically, um, especially in the wild card round, I, I looked it up. I mean, since Oh five, the 60 underdogs have covered, um, only nine of the 60 underdogs that covered lost outright. So essentially 85% of the time, if an underdog covers, they win too. Like it's rare for a team to cover a spread, but then also lose. So, you know, um, to me, it's almost like, well, you know, maybe Buffalo covers and, uh, you know, but doesn't, or maybe they win, but don't cover. I, I can see that happening and, wouldn't fault you for it. I think everybody in the world, I mean, everything I see on Twitter and just hearing people talk is okay. Buffalo teased with, you know, Tampa uh, teased with, you know, maybe uh, the saints who loses in that, you know, some, one of those three is going to lose who, who is it going to be? So um, I'll just be a little wary, but I could told, I wouldn't fault you for it. I'll just put it that way. I mean, the, the, the thing about this game is the big thing is like TA hit upon is just the, you know, the opening salvo. Can the Colts withstand that opening salvo? Uh, the Bills are third in the NFL in point differential in the first quarter, third in the NFL in first half point differential. 
because we know the Colts want to come out and run the football. They're going to want to run the football in this game. They can run the football uh, like T.A. hit upon. I mean, Buffalo um, is in the bottom of the league, you know, in explosive runs allowed. Uh, Jonathan Taylor is just surging. And, you know, into Dan's point, too, you know, I get a lot of blowback on Jonathan Taylor's run here at, at the end of the season because they're like, well, look at Jonathan Taylor played. And it's like, yeah, they just don't hand out 250-yard games at the airport when you show up. Like, you want – that's what we want in a good matchup. When you talk about the Bills blowing out teams they're supposed to blow out, yeah, that's what we say when you have a great matchup. So uh, I never understand how strength of schedule is docked in that. It should be docked when you have teams like barely getting by against these teams, you know, uh, almost right. like the Colts did last week uh, against the Jaguars uh, where they're going to get taken to the fourth quarter with Mike Glennon. Um, but when you have a light matchup, you expect these teams to blow teams out. Uh, and that's kind of what you want. And the same thing from a player stance. So it's really all about the Colts and can they withstand that that opening blitzkrieg from the, from the bills. Uh, and I think they can, I think that, that all you get, all the things you guys mentioned about the Colts are true. That's why I love the over here. I don't understand why it's going down with the weather, not really seeming like it's going to be an impact here. I mean, you look at the Colts, I mean, and the bills combined, they've each, they've had 13 combined games against winning teams uh, combined 10, they're 10 and three towards the over. Look at the Colts with every good team that they've played. They've given up points to you, 28 points to the Steelers, 27 to the Raiders, 45 to the Titans, uh, 20, then they came back, they had 17 in the other game at the time, 24 to the Ravens, uh, 32 to the Browns. Um, I mean, the Bills are going to push 30 points in this game, and I think that the Colts are good enough to still score on their own. Uh, I'm, I'm really curious. I loved the over coming in and it's going down, which makes me feel like my, my money always is dumb here when I'm going completely against the grain. But I just believe that there are going to be points scored in this first game. And this is only one of two of the six games we have. That's not a regular season rematch. Yeah, it's funny. I think the last time we had the same conversation, it was the Steelers uh, Bills game. <laughs> Rich, I know you love that yeah. one too. I, and my model actually had it really low. And it, it did say under, but I think that was, it might've been more of a weather issue. I'm not sure. Uh, but yeah, the Colts are, you know, as much as I like them, they're, you know, they're not as good defensively as maybe their numbers had suggested um, earlier in the year. Oh yeah. Um, and, you know, they're, they're 15th in EPA per play since week eight uh, defensively, you know, they're kind of middle of the road and the bills have gotten a little bit better. I mean, for whatever it's worth. And again, I don't, I mean, my numbers could, could be varied um, versus everybody else. I actually have this game 27-23 bills based on my model. Um, so right, this will be right at the, 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 the total. Um, and you just, I think with playoff games, people get wary, you know, just, you know, things tighten up a little bit. But yeah, I mean, when Buffalo's engaged, it's very rare that they don't, they don't just kind of toss points up on, on everybody. Um, so um, I, I, you know, I can see that and see that happening. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens with that one. I mean, what, uh, remind me because um i know we're, we probably went a little bit long with that one the next game is with the rams seahawks is that the uh yeah i don't have much to say on this one i can give a couple trends but this is it's, a game that's tough the, the john walford game yeah hey john I'm, walford hopefully am i am i a bad person for hoping uh yeah. that's the case we uh, talked about last some QB like, power qb power with walford on sunday yeah, so, so the thing is, he wasn't like running a lot, but the runs he had were very meaningful. It was like, uh, like zero point eight EPA per play. Um, and yeah, they were they were meaningful runs that picked up first downs, and I think that's just kind of a nice added element to this McVay offense that Jared Goff just it obviously doesn't give you. Um, so 
it, it was weird when I, when I was looking back, it wasn't like the, the McVay training wheels offense either. It wasn't like he didn't have a, a you know, a four yard a dot and in uh, a two yard uh, average depth of completion, like Jared Goff has had in some games where McVay really reined everything in with short uh, after short passes with yards after the catch. Um, they, they were pushing the ball downfield a little bit. He didn't have, Wofford didn't have too many impressive throws, but there were a couple really nice schemed open throws. There was a, a Robert Woods um, uh, slot wheel from, from a trips that uh, Wofford was able to hit down the field. Uh, there was Cam Akers wide open uh, on the left sideline that uh, he was able to hit later in the game. There, so the throws that were presented to him that he was asked to make, he was able to do it. And I think that's kind of the baseline for what Jared Goff brings to the offense. And then I think when you add in, what goes on with his legs and that added element there. That's, that's something that I, I'm not sure Seattle is going to be able to defend. And for Los Angeles, I think that just adds something else to that offense that kind of helps because um, it, it, I think we've seen so much with you know, mobile quarterbacks. It, it sets a floor that is so much higher than if, if Jared Goff's not working, then, then you don't have in another answer. You don't have a counterpunch. And I think we, we kind of talked about that. Uh, and I wrote about that in a couple of weeks ago. Um, the Rams just don't have a counterpunch when something's going on. But if you have this, you know, QB run game now, I think that that's something you can add in. So if Walford isn't a great passer, uh, you still kind of have that element uh, of an offense that you can rely on. So I think that's super interesting. Um, it, from what I see, Goff still might play, uh, but I I would lean toward Walford kind of being the better option for the Rams here. Yeah, and we see like the Rams. It's interesting. This line is so funny. The total is 42 and a half. Um, earlier this season when Seattle was scoring on everybody, the total was 54 and a half. Uh, just two weeks ago, it was 47 and a half. So, I mean, just the market is really corrected, which it probably should be. Seattle scored a lot less lately. The Rams, um, you know, tremendous defense. They match up very well. Um, I will say, I, you know, we talked about Walford last week. Like, I, I was all over the Rams uh, just because exactly what you said, Dan. I mean, you can move. You move with your feet. It just opens up so many things, even when a play breaks down or if your read or two is covered, like you can run the ball. Um, and that's something that golf just never did. I, I Look, golf at 100%, I think you would start him. But if he's got a freaking pin in his finger and you can't really grip the ball well, like why are you forcing it um, at the end of the day? In the rain. We get the golf rain narrative too. Yeah. So it's like, what are you doing? I personally am not, I'm not touching this game. Uh, I'm not betting this game. Um, a couple, I will mention one trend, um, this, cause I think it's important. There's only two games where this could uh, impact. It's, it's this one, if Wofford starts and then, you know, the Browns with Baker Mayfield. Um, I mean, looking back, um, I mean, I think this, this number goes back to, um, let's see, 2002. I looked it up. Quarterbacks making their first playoff start versus other quarterbacks who, you know, are not making their first start. Obviously, this this qualifies are 13, 32 and one against the spread, 15 and 31 straight up since since 02. So, you know, um, it seems kind of obvious, hey, you know, a a new quarterback, you know, first time starter in the playoffs. You know, you think you'd get nervous. It's kind of an easy narrative, but it fits. I mean, it's actually true. And we've seen some really good quarterbacks like Peyton Manning, uh, who lost 41 nothing in his first uh, playoff start. Like these things happen to even really good Hall of Fame quarterbacks. So that would that's one thing that would really scare me about Walford. It does help that he can move. um, But, you know, that 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 would get me nervous from that perspective. Um, and the fact that he's making a second start. I mean, first start, uh, I gave the stat last week, 
before that uh, about how since the beginning of, of 19, you know, first time quarterbacks were like 16 and five against the spread. Like it, the market could not adjust correctly. They over adjusted um, for these, uh, for these new quarterbacks. So when you get to your second start, that's where you, you got film and things change. So it, there's a lot of variables here that really, really uh, make it tough for me to evaluate and you get Cooper cup most likely back, but who knows, was he actually sick last week? Was he, did he have symptoms that make it, you know, difficult for him to play a full game? Um, you know, we just don't know. I haven't seen evidence or, or information on, you know, um, what, how, how much he's impacted. So there's a lot, lot here um, to really dissect. And we know the other side of the ball that the Jalen Ramsey is, you know, essentially shut down DK Metcalf in, in the last couple of, meetings and you know we need Tyler Lockett to step up and, the, and Seattle's not running the ball well so I'm not really sure what they do from a counter perspective so intriguing matchup at the end of the day I know a lot of people like this under it's just so so deflated at 42 and a half I don't know how you could take a 42 and a half under anymore in the NFL uh, but uh, I know that's one that people are looking at so um, this to me this is this 430 kickoff on the Saturday is like the perfect timing because I think this is the worst game on the board from a aesthetic standpoint. So um, I'll probably be just, uh, I'll lay off this one uh, kind of in all perspectives. I, I do like the uh, the Seahawks side here a pretty good amount for the reason you said with if Walford starts, you know, you're getting Russ versus Walford, uh, like, uh, you know, at, at three and a half, like I'm going to, I'm probably going to just bite that down. Uh, and then the Rams offense has been just deplorable since they're by. Only the Jaguars and Bengals scored a touchdown uh, at a lower rate than the Rams have since their week nine by uh, per drive. Um, I mean, it's just, it's just been bad. They can't get in the box even last week. I mean, that game could have had potentially be a blowout and the Cardinals hang around in that game because every time they cross the 50, they've got to kick a field goal. Uh, the only touchdown they scored was a defensive touchdown. They didn't score a touchdown the week prior uh, as well in, in, in Seattle. Again, Pete Carroll six and zero at home in the playoffs. Um, you know, it's, it's just a tough spot, I think, for the Rams. I don't think they can score enough points. The Seahawks haven't been particularly good, but I think if they score two touchdowns, they get to 20 again. I don't think the Rams get there. Um, it's, it's not a great match on paper for the Seahawks on any level, but I just think that just the peripherals of saying I can bet against John Walford versus Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll in Seattle, uh, which may not mean nothing, you know, this year, but, you know, in a potentially bad weather game, uh, I mean, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna swallow that and just run. Yeah, over. I would, I would suggest <laughs> taking, I would suggest taking the Seahawks because I like the Rams, uh, and if you've <laughs> listened to the podcast for the past uh, couple weeks, uh, you should probably go against whenever uh, I'm high on the Rams. Uh, but I think it's just because this defense matches up, I think, so well with what the Seahawks uh, mm-hmm. want to do, even at their best. Uh, and then when you look at what, um, what Seattle has really done on offense the past couple weeks for weeks one to eight they were 63 percent pass on first and second down in the first half that was the highest rate in the week and they were averaging 10 yards per attempt since week nine that's dropped to 58 percent which is 12th they're averaging 6.4 yards per attempt like that's awful um 6.4 yards per attempt the only teams averaging less than that is uh the denver broncos at 5.1 uh and that is it um so yeah so only uh, the De- <laughs> only the Denver Broncos have been worse on uh early down passes in the first half since week nine so that's uh not what you want if you were uh the Seahawks even with Russell Wilson and I, we've talked about this all the time it's you know 
the teams have figured out how to play Seattle, play too deep. Um, you have that safety who can roll over uh, toward DK Metcalf. That has completely shut down those plays down the sideline. Uh, so I, I pulled some numbers, a single high coverage. Russell Wilson has a completion percentage of 68.5%, 8.3 yards per attempt, uh, an 8.7% touchdown rate, 1.4% interception rate, uh, 0.18 EPA per attempt against too high. The completion rate is about the same, a little bit lower, 67.1%, but about a yard difference in yards per attempt, 7.34, 6.99 air yards per completion, 4.8 touchdown percentage, 2.4 interception rate, and 0.11 EPA per attempt. So those all significantly drop when teams are just playing too high. And we've talked about it was what the Chiefs do, and they've kind of – they have answers when teams go too high against them and try to stop that big play. The Seahawks just don't. Um, That was what they were living on that early part of the season. And the Rams are a defense that is just just so well-constructed to go against that. They have the corner who can go against DK Metcalf and just stop him one-on-one. But then when you have – you can play too deep and have a really good safety, no matter who the safety is. I mean, John Johnson's been playing uh, incredible, probably one of the most underrated safeties in the league at at this point. And he can shade over toward Metcalf. The Seahawks just haven't had – they just haven't had another option to uh, to keep that passing game going, and that's really showed uh, over this past uh, couple weeks. Um, so let's uh, move on to a game. I'm not sure how much we can really talk about. Well, I oh, guess I, I guess yeah, I'm sure you can because Tampa <laughs> is an interesting team. I think they could probably easily win the Super Bowl, and they could easily lose to Washington. Uh, at this point, I think there's just, they have the entire range of outcomes and I'm not sure there's a bigger range of outcomes for any team in the playoffs right now uh, than the Buccaneers. Yeah. I mean, uh, we've talked about it separately, how uh, the range of outcomes for Tampa is like you said, could lose this week, could win the Super Bowl. They're 32nd in variance in football outsiders metrics um, for a reason. I mean, essentially that's, that's, if you look at game by game grades, the the volatility is by far the highest in the NFL. I mean, you just, you can just see, I mean, they blow out the Packers, but then, you know, they get blown out twice by the saints, you know, they, they look terrible against the giants. Um, but you know, they stay close against Kansas city. Like it's just up and down, up and down. So here I'm on, I'm on uh, Washington here at eight and a half. Okay. And um, these are not all the reasons, but just this kind of all pieces of the puzzle. First of all, it just seems like the whole world loves Tampa. Like, oh, it's a foregone conclusion they're going to blow out Washington. That's always one to be beware of. Um, now, it's extremely small sample size, but there's only been two teams, two home dogs of seven or more in NFL history. Um, the 2010 Seahawks with Marshawn Lynch and the 2011 Tim Tebow-led Broncos both won outright in pretty, pretty memorable uh, games. I know, uh, Rich, you've, you've pulled it back even further. I think if you go over, what, four and a half, five-point spreads, um, you, you add in the uh, the Saints at home with Aaron Brooks beating the, the defending champs and the Rams and the, sh- the greatest show on turf uh, in the early 2000s. So, like, any way you slice it, this is a pretty unprecedented um, spread and situation. Um, now, we know Washington is kind of unprecedented in terms of how bad they are technically. Um, but, you know, they do have a top five defense second in DVOA. Um, and so th- that just kind of gives me pause. The other thing is, wh- okay, that's one one kind of level set. The other thing is specifically with this matchup, where, where does Tampa, where does Tom Brady struggle? They, they struggle against really good defenses. They struggle against pressure. It's always been the case. Um, when you've got an offense, uh, Bruce Arians offense that stretches the field that, you know, you need a lot of time in the pocket, 
uh, to scan the field and, and go deep, you really are um, under a lot of stress when you face a really good defensive line, really good pressure team. Tampa versus four top 10 DVOA defenses this year. And as I mentioned, Washington's number two. Um, they are 0-4. Um, Tom Brady against defenses ranked in the top 10 in pressure rate, Washington's ninth. And there's some, I mean, there's some iffy top 10 teams here. I mean, this includes the, the Giants and the, uh, and the Broncos, who I wouldn't necessarily call great defenses. Um, against those top 10 uh, pressure rate defenses, they're 2-2, two and two, 64% completion percentage, 7 TDs, 5 interceptions, 6.7 yards per attempt. Against everyone else, 33 touchdowns, 7 interceptions, almost 8 yards per attempt, um, and they have gone 9-3. and three. So clearly that is an area that kind of would give you pause if you're a Tampa backer. Um, just because of that nature. Add in the fact that Mike Evans probably is not going to play. It's another weapon to go down. And, you know, I think it's not, I don't think it's inconceivable that the, the Bronco or that the, the Washington football team can give this team trouble. I mean, we saw against the Giants, no one thought that, you know, Tampa would have a struggle and they should have lost that game. They lose to Nick Foles led uh, Bears team um, uh, on Monday night. Like there are in, plenty of instances that would point to a team like Washington to keep this game close. To me, uh, I love getting the eight and a half, not saying they're going to win. And I'm not using a small two or three game sample um, historically in the situation to, 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 you know, automatically take that. But I think from a point perspective, um, I think Washington's way to go. I know they're going to struggle offensively. I get it, but at least with Alex Smith and I'm assuming Alex Smith's going to play. I don't really buy into this whole rotation. Maybe they toss in Heineke in kind of a wildcat type of situation where he gets, you know, short yardage where he can move his feet maybe, but I think in general, Alex Smith's going to play and play the full game. At least we know he doesn't turn the ball over and he's he's faced, I mean, faced a great Pittsburgh defense, um, few weeks ago and they put up you know put up 23 points he's not going to lose you a game and that's all you want with with a great defense like Washington and when you're getting eight and a half points that's all you want so that's a long-winded uh, response to I just think this game is going to be a tighter game than, than many anticipate it would be it would surprise me if this is just a complete blowout just because Tampa as we mentioned is uh they have the ability to, to, to lose a game like this. They've done it before. So um, that's where I'm on with Washington. I'm sure you guys are both will skew me, but go, feel free. Lay it on me. Why am I wrong here? <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, listen, no one's going to take a game that happened, you know, 10 years ago or nine years ago and, and say that because that happened, you know, that this is going to happen here, you know, 10 years later. It's just, uh, you know, just signifying the perception of, you know, those teams and that we're in similar spots and saying, you know, hey, we've got a team that obviously has a lot of cachet in the Buccaneers versus a team that does not in the football team. Uh, and then it's a spot that just could be a signal where they're undervalued, like you said. And then when you just dig under the hood, um, this is an interesting matchup on a lot of levels. Uh, to me, I mean, the, this is one that screams under to me just because of the struggles you said with Washington being able to score the football. I mean, no, the only teams that scored at a lower rate per drive than the football team this year were the Bengals, the Broncos, the Giants, and the Jets, uh, a touchdown per drive rate this season. Um, the interesting thing about this is the Bucks are kind of a notorious slow starting team too. And Washington is a, these are two best second half teams in football. Their number, they're both tied for the exact same point differential in the second half at top of the tops in the league. Uh, the Bucks, we've seen them for a lot of weeks you know, fall in a hole, then just turn it on and blitzkrieg teams in the second half. Washington's been the same way where their defense is just, just nuked teams in the second half of games where they've kind of played games kind of, they've, they've, 
play, given some up in, early in the games, and then they just, just crush teams defensively in the second half of games. This one, to me, screams an under two, so we'll see. I mean, it's one of those – you never want to just go and bet an under on a primetime game because you don't have any fun, especially in the playoffs, uh, especially when you think like that college football game on Monday. It's like everything just tells you to take the under, but it's like I don't want to watch that game if I take the under. I want to cheer for not fun, not fun things to happen, and that's what we have to do here. Uh, that's, a, that's the bummer. Uh, but I do think that this is – at 45, I think it's it's kind of lofty. I do think that the Bucks passing game can have some success here. Uh, you look at Washington, where they are good, and they're number one in the NFL is defending the intermediate pass, 15 yards and in. Uh, and then they fall to mid-pack, you know, defending the deep ball. And, you know, some strength of schedule stuff has aided it. But, you know, the, the old man's uh, deep ball has been clicking since everyone threw him under the, under the bag. And he had, like, what, the four straight games where he didn't complete a pass uh, over 20 yards downfield. I mean, Brady literally is, you know, number one in deep ball passing from week 12 on. Uh, you know, having Antonio Brown kind of come search. So when Washington does give up plays, they typically don't give up. Uh, they don't let you paper cut them to death. They'll usually give up a big play. The Steelers are kind of built in the same way where like when they do get beat, it's, it's a big play that happens. It's not just the team bleeding them for eight yards the whole way down the field. And that's kind of how Washington is built as well, but they're going to be able to pressure Tom Brady. It's not a game. I think that has a lot of objective, great offensive pieces in this game that signal out like this guy's going to have a stellar game. Uh, the Bucks are a really bad rushing team. I don't think they're going to really be able to establish the run here uh, for those, you know, in a game like you would think a defensive battle would be built on. I don't think they're going to be able to run the ball successfully. I think they're going to skew pass heavy in this game. Uh, it just depends on what kind of early success they can have. But uh, to me, I, I mean, I just don't see a lot of touchdowns being scored in this game. The only thing I will say with Tampa is since week eight, they're 28th in EPA per play defensively. Now they've had a tough schedule. Oh, yeah. They've a good team, but – um, just, just something to keep in mind. Like they're not the invincible defense that they might have been <laughs> early in the season. Yeah, I mean, everything we talk about just relates to Washington's offense. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, which is man, it's it's... a lot of JD McKissick. It's going to be a lot of dump offs to McKissick. It's going to be Logan Thomas five yard curl rounds. But you know, yeah, look, for, for an underdog, that's what you got to do. And he's not going to. Alex Smith is not going to turn the ball over if you do that. But, but is is he though? So I, I want to kind of jump on that point quickly because. He has turned the ball over this year. He has not been good. He hasn't been the safe Alex Smith. There's still been the the very low ceiling, but the floor has been much lower too. He has a 3.2% interception rate, which is his highest since 2009. Um, he had two picks against the Eagles. He had a fumble against the Eagles that he was able to recover, but this isn't really the safe Alex Smith that's been there. He's made some mistakes of uh, 44 quarterbacks who had at least a hundred um, attempts this year. Alex Smith was 40th in uh, EPA per attempt of per sports info solutions. Like this, this has not been the safe and steady Alex Smith. He's been forced into some mistakes and, you know, as good of a story as he is like, it's tough to watch him play football uh, sometimes, which doesn't take away from uh, what he does. It's exciting that he was able to get back to the field. Um, but that offense just it cannot move. And it doesn't have that high floor that some of these other Alex Smith teams have. There, there have been mistakes there. And if they have any of those, uh, it, it really takes out what Washington can do. So I, I'm, not, I'm not really buying the Alex Smith doesn't turn the ball over right now because he has this season. And especially this past two games, he's got three interceptions in the past two games. He did have that fumble. So uh, I'm, I'm not sure. And when you have uh, a team like 
the Buccaneers who can uh, you know get pressure from the outside, get pressure from the interior also. Uh, and, and Alex Smith can't move from the pocket either. He's become that guy. Um, you know, back when Alex Smith was Alex Smith, he could get out of the pocket and move a little. I'm just I don't I don't see that uh, of what he's able to do right now. So that that really worries me of Washington being able to score any points uh, against uh, this defense. Um, so let's uh, let's keep moving along here, uh, since we are running a little long. And the first game on Saturday or Sunday, sorry, uh, is Baltimore and Tennessee. This might be one of the most fun games of the weekend. Probably the most fun game of the weekend. I think Ravens Titans uh, rematch. Uh, from uh, earlier in the year, rematch from uh, the playoffs last year when Tennessee was able to uh, upset a Baltimore here. So uh, what, what, what are we thinking for this game? Yeah, so I, I hit the over 54. I think it's 54 and a half now. I'll go quickly why. I mean, Tennessee, I've, I've hit them a lot this year. If you followed us, uh, I think they've <laughs> gone all their games, but three have gone over the closing number um, this year. They're just so – their defense is horrific. Um, and we know that Derrick Henry's great, and you know Tan Hill's been really good too, and he's throwing the ball downfield. So they've got all those ingredients. If you look at the first matchup, people will say, "Oh, well, they only scored 50 points in uh, in an overtime game. Uh, why would you think they'd score 54 here?" But you dig a little deeper, and, you, and if you watch that game, I mean, both teams were moving the ball. I mean, 11 of the 18 drives ended in points, uh, so essentially 2.77 points per drive. To put that in perspective, the league average is only 2.26. Okay, and when you consider that they kicked six field goals combined and four of them were from inside the 15 yard line. I mean, these teams move the ball. They just, they just bogged down and these are not, or the Ravens at least um, are good, but the Titans, you know, red zone defense is terrible. Um, there are only five punts in this game. So even if, if, you know, out of those four field goals from inside the 15, I mean, typically you probably see, you know, two or three touchdowns there that alone would have gotten this to 60 points. So, um, you know, that, that doesn't really bother me. So both teams can move, move the ball. And then last year, you know, the 28-12 game, fine. Um, but we know that Baltimore, uh, you know, missed out on all those fourth down conversions. They moved the ball too. They just couldn't punch it in. So, yeah, I mean, in a total like this, if you get, um, you get some stops in the red zone, it's probably going to go under. But I just don't have faith that, um, you know, these, especially the, the Titans can stop anybody. Um, and I think that they've got enough firepower to throw the ball on this Ravens defense, which, you know, in the last couple of weeks, they've looked really good, but against really bad competition. I mean, the Browns put up 40 plus on them. Um, it's not inconceivable for a very similar type of offense, you know, with that bootleg play action offense to do the same here. So, um, I think this is, this is game, this game's going to go over. I have no problems, you know, banging the 54, um, you know, again, it's probably 54 and a half now. So it's kind of a key number there. So it is important to to not wait too long if um, if you're looking at this. But I think from that perspective, I do like this over. I think the spread is has been interesting, bouncing between three and a half, three. And I think um, I think the Titans are probably the right side at three and a half. But I think Baltimore wins. Um, so you know I'm staying away. But uh, I don't know, Rich, if you've got a an opinion on either side or total. But for me, this is just an over for me. Yeah, I like both. I like both the over and the Raven side uh, a little bit, depending on what you can get. If you, you know, it's been bouncing back and forth. Uh, I just have, I'm like you. I just have no faith in the state of this Titans defense right now, like the current state that they're in. Uh, you know, when these teams even played in Week 11, it was a little better than what than what we've seen on the field over the past month from them. I mean, they just cannot 
stop anybody. I mean, they, the, the, the biggest weakness is they can't rush the passer, which really doesn't kind of impact this game kind of in a way, in a sense. Like it doesn't, it's not going to like the Ravens aren't going to come out and just say, Hey, Tennessee can't, you know, rush the passer. We're going to drop back and we're going to throw it 65% of the time. We know they're not going to do that. Um, but they can't get, they can't rush the passer and get any pressure. Uh, they also are 23rd in the NFL in um, explosive rushing yardage allowed. Uh, the Ravens are number one in the NFL and explosive rushing yardage created. Uh, I mean, just, just the state of this Titans defense though, just in, in totality, they can't stop anybody right now. Uh, so I just have really no faith in them getting enough stops. Uh, I do believe that they will be able to score the ball themselves um, and have some, you know, you know, positive production. Uh, if you look at Ryan Tannehill against these good defenses, um, he hasn't produced a lot of passing yardage, but you know, they've been fine scoring the ball and he runs more against teams that are good against the pass. Uh, against five teams that are top 10 in passing points allowed. He's rushed for over 30 yards per game in those games. So I think we'll see Tannehill use his legs a little bit. Um, the Derrick Henry component is pretty interesting because one, you know, you've got, you know, it's their, their underdog. So if he can get scripted out of the game, it's potential. Uh, he kind of like really nickel and dimed his way there last time these teams played before the overtime run. And that was a Ravens team that had no Brandon Williams or Clayus Campbell. So it'd be interesting to see how they bounce back against the run uh, on the Ravens side and they're able to defend him. But I think it's pretty, pretty cut and dry that both these teams are going to score some points in this game. I do lean a little bit to the Ravens. I think the Ravens win this game. I think it's, you know, the way that they were put out of the playoffs by this Titans team, they blow a game to the Titans. Remember that game too, also earlier this season had the Harbaugh Vrabel kind of schism, pregame schism, you know, with the, you know, the, the guys on the Tennessee side are dancing on the logo, which is a, a thing that everyone, you know, is kind of up in arms about this season, but the Titans guys are dancing on the Ravens logo and Harbaugh went out there and Vrabel came out and had some words for him. I think there's a little bit of a rivalry going on here. And I just think too, Lamar Jackson, the way he started his career with the two playoff loss, Losses. We've seen a host of guys do this. The TA brought up Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning lost his, his first three playoff games and was absolutely horrible in all three of them. Uh, I think that we're going to have a, a, a big chance for Lamar to kind of at least drop one week of the shedding the stigma of his postseason, you know, kind of narrative. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'd, has anyone gotten Joe Judge's uh, opinion on dancing on uh, logos? <laughs> I think we I know just... how he feels. I think we got a good, good gauge. How he feels <laughs> oh, oh we don't have to ask. We can, we can probably just figure that out. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Um, so, oh, yeah, I'm, I love Baltimore's offense here. They finally look like what Baltimore should be doing and as i mentioned earlier in the podcast how we know about good teams is their ability to blow out bad teams and that's kind of that what is what baltimore has done they haven't really played a lot of good teams they had that cleveland game but they they're blowing out the bad teams and that that is the sign of a good team like you should be able um to do that and man that's just what baltimore has been doing they've been able to like a game by game kind of piece together what this offense should look like the deep balls hitting more often even when they're not hitting they're still you know times later in the game uh you saw last week there was the the play to marquis brown where Lamar Jackson hit him right in the numbers uh, and that nice throw um, down the sideline. And then he came back on the uh, later in that same drive was able to hit uh, Miles Boykin uh, for a deep touchdown. So it, this stuff is happening. And it, yeah, like we said, it's not like this Titans defense is good. Uh, so this is another bad defense they're able to play and they, they should be able to, um, you know, uh, get through uh, 
and be able to create some openings, especially in the passing game and in the run game. They're they're hitting some of these chunk plays too, which they weren't hitting uh, as often uh, in the beginning of the season. And I think when you look at you know J.K. Dobbins had that seventy-two yard run on I will say on Tyler Huntley's first snap of the game. Um, <laughs> as we go in there, and I, I threw in the all twenty-two. Tyler Huntley had some wheels uh, chasing down. Uh, oh yeah, down J.K. Dobbins there. That was he turned the corner. Um, so I don't think we see Tyler Huntley in this game. I think we can probably uh, hang that up for the season. But we, we had a fun uh, couple weeks. But yeah, I think just Baltimore. And even when they're starting to click on defense too, we talked about uh, you know a couple weeks ago how their defense over the second half of the season had been pretty bad and dropped to like the the twenties in DVOA. But they just they're uh they're a playoff defense where you have the guys like Marcus Peters uh, who can potentially, you know, give up a, a play or two, but they have such the, the, the high variance where those turnovers and things um, you have Marlon Humphrey who had eight forced fumbles this year. I'm not sure we talked about that enough. He had eight forced fumbles as a corner. That was four more than any other player in the league had forced fumbles somewhere. Um, Charles Tillman is. Smiling. Yeah. The, he's, he's become the, he's become the Charles Tillman. Um, that's, that's insane. Um, so they just have those types of guys where they can have that, you know, you can't rely on turnovers a, a lot, you know, in the regular season, that's not a way to sustain defense, but in the playoffs, that that's what you can do. Uh, so I think they have the corners that are going to be able to uh, hang with some of uh, Tennessee's receivers. And I think they, they play in a way where I don't think they're going to get completely gashed on the ground. Like you said, uh, for Derek Henry, where they were able to keep him in check for most of that last game. So, um, yeah, it's just going to be. I think everyone is on Baltimore, which kind of scares yeah. me a, a little bit. Same thing. Same here, last yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I do but, think it will catch up to them, and we'll talk about it probably in subsequent weeks if they win. I do think, like you know, the loss of Ronnie Stanley in their passing yeah. game in general, I think will catch up to them when they have to face some of these other teams. Pending, like if they win, and if the chalk hits this week, they would play the Chiefs next week, who kind of have their number. Um, I do think those things will catch up to them, but I think here this is kind of a, a statement spot that I think that they're kind of looking at. Maybe that's more narrative-based, but uh, I do think that they kind of come out and, and have a good game here. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the, since I uh, just mentioned week, uh, since week 14, 17, I put this in first and 10 this week, Lamar Jackson second in EPA per play. So that's, that's you know, what you want uh, for this uh, type of thing. So uh, we will see how uh, that goes. So we are going to move on to the next game, which uh, I am absolutely watching the Nickelodeon uh, version oh, yeah, of this. Oh, yeah, man. Because, I'm excited yeah, I mean, about how, the Nickelodeon How can you version. not? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that is uh, the Chicago Bears at New Orleans Saints. Um, yeah, I just – I Yeah, so as I said in the top of the show, like I, I understand why Washington the playoffs – the getting and, and taking in that the Chicago bears are a playoff team. is just wild to me. I mean, they're going to have to run it back, right? Like they're going to run back Mitch on a, probably a one year, maybe, you know, nothing extravagant. Uh, Matt Nagy getting the playoffs might've saved his, you know, kind of gig, but uh, the bears. Yeah. Coming into the postseason, one in six against teams of the winning record this season, by far the worst record uh, amongst all playoff teams this season. Uh, they faced just five teams all season long. They're in the top 10 in defensive EPA uh, allowed this season. Uh, Mitchell Trubisky only played in one of those games. It was the giants game. That was the only one that he played in. Uh, in those games, the bears have scored uh, 16.2 points per game. 
uh, as opposed to 26 and a half points per game. Otherwise we know that this hot run has come against, you know, a lot of teams at the bottom of the cellar here. Uh, the saints are not that I think dollar for dollar one through 53, the saints are the best roster uh, in the NFL that's standing right now. Uh, just, you know, something always happens to them this time of year. I don't think it'll be here. Uh, if you look at it historically, since the 1970 merger, there have been just 11 teams that have been favored by nine or more points in the opening round of the playoffs. Those teams are 10 and one straight up, nine and two against the spread. The Saints themselves are that one loss in the game that uh, TA brought up in 2010 against the Seahawks in the Beastquake game. Uh, but that was also the only road team that was favored by that much in that spot as well. Uh, in the Dome, you know, Trubisky's in a spot where he hasn't faced any teams that get pressure at all on the quarterback. I mean, New Orleans is fifth in the league in pressure rate. It's the highest ranked team Trubisky's faced all season in pressure rate. Uh, the only other team that the next closest team was the Giants game, and he was bad in that game, uh, you know, earlier. See, it's what essentially, you know, was the one of the tipping points that got him benched before they went to Atlanta in that first half. Uh, but I do think this is a, a great spot for the Saints to open up in the playoffs at home against this Bears team that – I mean, T.A. talked about, you know, Washington kind of being, you know, undervalued and teams that are this heavy, but I, I don't know. They went to overtime the first game. I mean, tell me I'm wrong because they had Foles. They took them to overtime. There was no Michael Thomas, no Emmanuel Sanders that game, but, you know, Kamara off of COVID, you know, how did it, how did it impact him? He's not going to practice before he plays. Uh, Maybe I'm wrong. They did. It was a three-point game when they met earlier in the season. So, I mean, can you, can you get us there, Dan? No. <laughs> just, just to be honest, I, I just, I don't see how any of this works. I just, ah, oh, I mean, the the Trubisky thing is just, what, are, what are we doing here? I mean, even, even a one year deal. I think we talked about this either the last podcast or two podcasts ago. Even the one year deal just like unnecessarily ups the percentage of possibility that he just, you know, you just keep stringing him along a one-year deal where he's, you know, maybe average uh, turns into a three-year extension very quickly. And I think that's, that's just such a dangerous uh, way to, to go about uh, what they're doing. And, you know, like I said, it hasn't really, um, they haven't played anybody. Uh, I think uh, TA had a note here, TA uh, had to run, uh, but he hasn't faced a, a defense in the top 13 of DVOA. So uh, then you go against the Saints, which is uh, potentially the best defense uh, in the league right now. And then I think when you look on the other side of the ball, um, Chicago's defense has gone from third in pass defense DVOA from weeks one through nine to 28th since week 10. Um, and, and there's been some injuries, you know, Jalen Johnson's been in and out of the lineup. Uh, Buster screen's been on IR for the past couple of years and or past couple of weeks, sorry, not years. Um, and he was one of the better slot corners uh, in the league uh, for the most of this season. So that's been huge. And you bring that to now, in New Orleans, who's figuring out ways to throw the ball. Um, you know, they haven't had Michael Thomas for the past couple of weeks, but they're working Emmanuel Sanders uh, in there more. Uh, it, somehow Taysom Hill is back to being some kind of uh, tight end who actually catches the ball productively. Um, I don't know, but he's kind of done that the past couple of games. So I, they just played their last games without any running backs and still they they were fine, and I think they're they're finding ways to throw the ball. I think they're going to be able to do that against Chicago, especially if Michael Thomas comes back. Uh, then that makes everything else. I mean, Michael Thomas doesn't even have to be healthy because it's not like he's this you know super sprinter down the field. Um, if he can run four yards for a slant, that's fine. The Saints have built their offense out of that before. Um, so I just I, I don't 
I, I don't see it. Um, I think this, I think this more likely than the Tampa Bay Washington game is going to be the blowout where we see the one team that really shouldn't be in, in the playoffs. Uh, and TA did give a note here that he, he does like the saints uh, at minus nine and a half because of that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, to, to me, I'm real curious to see how this plays out because you know, we always talk about if these games go as planned, which we know there probably will be an upset this week. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. But, you know, if the Saints win and the Bucks win, you know, the Bucks are the team that goes to Green Bay, you know, then the Saints play, you know, Seattle goes to New Orleans. I mean, it could set up for an NFC South, you know, NFC championship. There's a potential for that uh, to kind of play out. I do think that, like I said, top to bottom, I think this is the best roster in the NFL. It's just can the Saints, you know, avoid that kind of, you know, unlucky moment this year. Yeah, that's kind of – that seems to be what – has happened to them uh, the past the couple of years and say the first overall in, in DVOA right now, they are the top team. So as bumpy as this ride has been for the saints at that deep roster has been able to uh, keep them going for, for most of the season. And, and they really didn't bottom out uh, when they could have. And, and that's good because, you know, I've, I've played with the saints cap on uh, over the cap uh, doing the salary Kappa calculator for 2021, and oh man, do they have some work uh, in the offseason? Well, that's so the Mickey they, Loomis way, man. Mickey Loomis yeah, is but, always a money in the banana stand guy. That's how he's he's running right, and, and that and that's <laughs> been fine for the past couple of years when this uh, when the cap has been growing. But especially if if Breeze retires and this cap drops by you know 25 million dollars, uh, and it's only a you know 175 million dollar cap, now they really have uh, some work to do because they don't have a lot of contracts uh, that can move. If the cap was going to go up another you know 10% this year, sure, they'd be fine. But with that cap dropping, they are one of the teams that, that really, they, they are built for 2020. So they, they need uh, this this playoff run to especially breeze retires too so yeah (laughs) yeah all right so let's go now to the last game uh of the week which uh i don't did it get more interesting now that uh kevin stefanski will be out uh with the covid i I, i'm not sure um so it's uh the browns at steelers is the uh, sunday night game uh as we said uh the Browns have been kind of dealing with some COVID cases throughout the past couple of weeks. It like knocked month, out yeah. the whole wide receiver group uh, a couple of weeks ago as close contacts. They've had a couple positives pop up. And uh, earlier this week, um, Kevin Stefanski uh, tested positive. So he will not be able to coach. Um, you know, he'll still be able to, uh, you know, script the, the opening drive, maybe a, a little bit more of the first quarter. Uh, so he'll still be involved in that. But on game day, he will not be there. Um, Alex Van Pelt uh, will be uh, the play caller. Their special teams coordinator will be the acting um, the head coach, which I think is good to split up those um, mm-hmm. those those responsibilities uh, on game day. But uh, so that, that does put a wrench into uh, some of the momentum Cleveland had uh, going into this game. These two teams just played last week, uh, but it was the Steelers had a whole bunch of backups in. Mason Rudolph started instead of um, 
instead of Ben Roethlisberger. But I think part of what kept the Steelers in that game was Mason Rudolph was able to, you know, hit some chunk plays down the field. And we just don't know if Ben Roethlisberger can do that. And that's, I think, where I I fall on this offense. And it was kind of nice to see what the Steelers offense could look like. I mean, Mason Rudolph is bad, uh, but if you can throw in some, you know, shots down the field every once in a while, and that's kind of what we saw at the end of the Colts game, where Ben Roethlisberger was finally releasing uh, some passes down the field. And and they were more toward the middle and not just these sideline go routes that we talked about, that the margin of error is just so small. Uh, So if they can have that, if that's a part of the Steelers offense now, then they're they're dangerous because the Browns just don't have enough secondary uh, to match up with that, even with Denzel Ward now uh, potentially coming back. But he's also coming back off of COVID. Um, So... I think that that's where that stands. Obviously, the the Pittsburgh defense is you know, just really good, um, but I think we've seen the the Browns could potentially scheme around that uh, with their you know play action heavy uh, type of you know offense to get Baker out of pressure. But you know, with with Stefanski out, I'm just, I'm not sure how that's going to happen. Ooh, let's see if the, the cat might like that take. Uh... Yeah, I mean, you, so this is an interesting game. So it's uh, you know being in the you know the, the the near Cleveland area, it's kind of everyone has that 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 ER mentality, you know, again of like, oh, oh of course man. this happened, you know, of course this is happening now, you know. Uh, I'm not a Browns fan, so I mean, uh, I don't I don't go I don't, don't cheer for anybody, but uh, you know they also lost Joel Petonio. Uh, to COVID too. He's not going to play in this game as well. And that's, yeah, that's, you know, that's also big, but also big on the other side, they got Wyatt Teller back last week. They got- uh, and that was huge. And he was, oh man, that, that one long Nick Chubb uh, touchdown run, Wyatt Teller was like, it's somehow out faster than Nick Chubb was in the backfield, like 10 yards down the field, ready to block. So uh, that, I guess, you know, it trade one for one. Uh, Teller's probably maybe a, a little better, but yeah, that, that's still a huge loss on that offensive line. Yeah, and then there's Olivier Vernon on the other side too, a second on the team in sacks. But that's where it kind of starts, though, is that offensive line. Because uh, when we, we all we talk about Baker Mayfield, it always, you know, I always go to this team. Can, can this team get pressure on the quarterback? Uh, you know, he, this season he's averaged four and a half yards for pass attempt under pressure as opposed to 8.1 yards for pass yards for pass tempo kept clean. Uh, That drop, that 3.6-yard drop, is 37th among all NFL quarterbacks. In the two games that they faced the Steelers this season, he's been pressured 35% of his dropbacks. He's been sacked on 8.6% of his dropbacks. Against everyone else, those numbers are 24.5% and 3.8%. Even last week, he took four sacks against the Steelers' kind of, you know, B-squad defense. So, I mean – it all comes down to Baker's. Yeah. Can he, you know, withstand this pressure that he's going to see, you know, the Steelers are going to blitz a lot. They're going to bring heat. They're not going to have Joe Hayden back for this game, uh, which kind of is it, it's one of those matchups. I guess you're not going to have Joe Hayden. Would it be against this Browns team that, you know, isn't really going to necessarily challenge you through the air. You have Baker Mayfield in five career games this Steelers. He's not thrown for 200 yards in any of those games, including last week against like kind of, he said that B squad defense uh, that was just missing some pieces. They had Mink on the field and some other good players, but you know, you know, Cam Hayward, no TJ Watt. That's what it's just going to come down to is, you know, can Baker Mayfield, you know, stand up. And then what you hit upon earlier is just how do we even stock what the, like, do we just take the second half of that Colts game and say, Oh yeah, the Steelers are back. Or was that just a blip on the radar that they just were put in this, you know, unprecedented situation, chasing points, maybe with the, you know, uh, on the line that they could drop down and lose the division. Uh, and then, you know, they rally in the second half, but that's essentially over the past, you know, five games, they've given us two good quarters of offensive football. How much do we stock that being, you know, 
a, a launching pad of can they build on that and take that into the playoffs? Or are we just going to go back to this, you know, tertiary, throw the ball six yards from the line of scrimmage, you know, Steelers offense that we saw uh, up until that point? Because, I mean, this is an offense that completely struggled to close the season to score points. Uh, You know, through 10 games, they were averaging 29.8 points per game, 19.7 per game after that point. Uh, They scored on just 23.5% of their drives uh, from that point on, which was 31st in the NFL. Like, we're not talking about, like, they sagged to the middle of the pack. Like, they were a bottom, you know, three team and scoring the ball per drive. Uh, so what does the Steelers off- offense bounce back and, and, you know, kind of do? Is it something they build off of? Are they going to have Ben call pl- more plays? Because the, the thing was they said he was calling plays in the second half of that game. Uh, are they going to have Richter call more plays? Is it's Or, you know, it's – it's. I mean, I just don't know. Like, it's the, – the Steelers are a complete mystery to me. I just don't know what we're going to get from them offensively. I have no – outstanding pulse i just know that this the weakness does set up for them for matchup wise for this to potentially be obviously their best draw of the first round i think if they play the colts in the first round it's you know not as great as a matchup if they play the titans in the first round it's not a great matchup the way this lines up is probably the best matchup they could have had um so it's i don't know i, I have no really great pulse though on what to believe the steelers are offensively right now yeah, that, absolutely. And not, not just, you know, the matchup, the matchup with now the head coach, which was, you know, what we attributed all of Cleveland's success, uh, you know, came from the head coach. It's not like, you know, we, he, this was some, you know, great defense under an offensive head coach. This was, you know, we, we gave Stefanski all the credit and now he's just not going to be He's still, you know, relatively involved. We said probably be able to, you know, script a little bit, have the game plan, but you know, being able to pull the strings on game day, that's that's huge. You know, Ben Roethlisberger, um, uh, among thirty-eight quarterbacks who had at least a hundred attempts from a clean pocket uh, this year, Roethlisberger was 29th in EPA yeah. per attempt. It's just, it, it, it's not like it was you know pressure that completely derailed what the Steelers could do. They just, they weren't able to do anything from a clean pocket. Um, and when you, you talked about the bills where they, they don't care about the production they get from the running backs, but they use some of those, you know, short passes and stuff to, you know, work as the run game. The, the chiefs can do that also. Um, but they also have those big plays. They have the explosive plays on offense uh, that, that keep the ball going. But for most of the season, like you said, except for like two quarters uh, with Ben Roethlisberger these past couple of weeks, the, the Steelers don't have that. They're using those short passes as the offense. It's not a replacement for the run game. It's that that is what they do. And we saw a lot of teams were able to start to, you know, jump on those passes. That's what Buffalo did. That's what, um, what the Colts were able to do uh, earlier in that game, the first half of that game. Um, I, I don't know how the Browns are going to be able to do that because the corner depth just uh, mm-hmm. isn't there. Um, they're, they're a team that likes to play a lot of quarters uh, this year. So they're, they play a lot of uh, too high. So I'm not sure if the Steelers are a team you need to be doing that again. So I'm, I'll be interested to see if they get a little uh, more aggressive play, you know, maybe an extra guy, uh, an extra safety down in the box, um, you know, and, and try to be aggressive to uh, jump on some of those shorter passes. And we'll have to see if, if Pittsburgh can counterpunch and, and take advantage of some of those uh, deeper passes. Get more involved in the middle of the field because Pittsburgh is just completely – just ignored that part of the field for so often uh, this season. That's where some of the most valuable plays uh, on the field come in that short and intermediate middle of the field. Uh, And that's just, that's just not in, you know, Pittsburgh's arsenal. And I think, man, I just, 
I, I don't know. This, yeah, this game is, is the biggest mystery because you just, yeah. on both sides, you just have no idea what the offenses are, are going to look like. And when we base so much of how we feel about these teams on how many points they can score and how good the offenses are, it's just it, neither one of these teams you can feel comfortable saying, yeah, this team is going to score a lot of points uh, in mm-hmm. this game. So this, this might be, you know, as you know, much as, you know, the, the AFC North right now is, you know, Joe Burrow, Lamar Jackson, Baker Mayfield, you know, you know these young quarterbacks, like this might be an ugly AFC North game, like of the past that, that we might be seeing on Sunday night. Yeah, I agree. I think this one, I, I think this one is a kind of a stay away from me. Maybe it'll change by Sunday night and I'll be swayed maybe to something like the under, but I mean, with the, with the COVID case, I think when it opened at four, it was a clear Steeler side. And now that it's moved with the COVID stuff and it's kind of shifted, I just think that the number is a stay away, but it's hard not to like the matchup side for just the Steelers and looking at, like you said, the, the, the losing Vernon, the cornerback depth of this team, the, uh, the Cleveland secondary, which has been obviously their, their weakest unit of the season. You know, they, they don't, really stop anyone through the air the only time they did was when they played a three-game stretch basically through like you know the worst weather possible for like a month straight and then ever since they've come out of that bad weather they've just been getting you know shredded again so I mean it's one of those things like do we believe the Steelers can take advantage of that that means a mystery but we do know that the potential exists for it based on how the Browns have performed defending the pass you know through the totality of the season. Yeah, it's just been completely consistent. Uh, Cleveland, 22nd in uh, DVOA against the pass from weeks one through nine, 23rd from weeks 10 to 17. It's just, they, they've been the same and there's not much they can do about it. I like Joe Woods a lot. I, I think he was very instrumental in what the 49ers were able to do last year as the secondary coach. Um, and then he's, he's, he's another one where they're, they're bringing some of that stuff to uh to that defense in Cleveland, they just, they don't have the talent to be able to pull it off. So uh, yeah, the, the question is going to be whether Pittsburgh has, has anything in them. And that's not just going to be Pittsburgh, you know, for this game. That's if they can, you know, make any noise in the playoffs at all. I think we're going to have to see them be able to do something uh, against Cleveland. Uh, so yeah, that's that. I think that's one of maybe the more interesting games to watch just because uh, we don't know, I guess we, you know, we feel like we have uh, a much better handle on, what to expect from some of these other games. Uh, but, you know, that, that last game of, of Sunday night, we have a very full weekend. Uh, I'll, I'll let you know on Sunday night um, how I feel about six games <laughs> this weekend, uh, of whether I, I enjoyed it or not, because right now it, it does feel like a, a lot, especially the over two days. It's really, it's two full days of football. Like you still on a Sunday slate, you're still, you know, doing the same amount of time from, from one to 8 PM. So now you're just doing that two, two days in a row. Um, So man, all right. So I'm, we're getting prepped for that. So uh, we're going to end this uh, show here. Remember, you can find uh, everything we do on sharpfootballanalysis.com. There are still uh, playoff packages that you can find there. You can find uh, Rich's work. Um, at their uh, all playoff content uh, from Rich is free. Uh, the worksheet right now, the super wild card worksheet with all six games, that is uh, free to view. There, there is no paywall there for any of Rich's playoff content uh, throughout the postseason. Uh, so go find that there. You can find him on Twitter at Ward Reeves. Uh, you can find TA on Twitter at Cleve TA. You can find me on Twitter at Dan Pizzuta. Thank you guys for listening, and we will talk to you again soon. I'm not afraid of